Thank you, Kelsey. I love the imagery that was in our call to worship uh, this morning. If you recall it, it was from Psalm 92, and it's uh, so fitting for our current preaching series. That's why I chose it. I'm just I'm, I'm going to keep feeding you these images in the scriptures of rootedness. Is what we're studying through the Apostles' Creed. And Psalm 92 uh, is that we were called to worship with. Is a, the Bible says it's a song for the Sabbath, which means it's a song for when the people of God gather together for worship. So whether it's in the morning to declare God's steadfast love or whether it's at night to declare his faithfulness, on the day that's set apart to rest from our works and to sing for joy the works of God's hands. And notice that the psalmist said that those uh, who belong to God, those uh, who are trusting him, those who give themselves over to the liturgy of worship, the images, they're like trees that are planted in the house of the Lord. We said it together. They, they flourish in the courts of the Lord. They bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. I love that. These are signs of life. These are songs. These are signs of longevity. It's like a tree that has deep roots that are well watered and nourished and they're fruitful for their entire life. I'm going to keep feeding you those images because that's the heart behind our series on the Apostles' Creed entitled Rooted. That you and I would be like that tree that is so deeply rooted in Christ. Not just now, but for your whole life long. In a lot of ways, we're doing this series for your 80-year-old self. (laughs) That even in old age, you would be full of sap and green and alive in Christ. That your song would forever be that the Lord is your rock, your fortress, your sure foundation. So what we're doing is we're walking through each line of the Apostles' Creed so that we can be more deeply rooted in who God is for us. The truths that have been confessed by Christians for over almost 2,000 years and even all around the world today. And today... We're looking at the line in the creed where it says he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of of God, the Father Almighty. We looked at Jesus's humiliation. Now we look at Jesus's exaltation. We're looking at Jesus's ascension, which is kind of like the forgotten part of Jesus's ministry, if we're honest, right? Lots Lots of attention is given to Jesus's life. His incarnation, his birth, his teachings, his miracles. We have whole seasons of Christmas and Epiphany focused on these things. Lots of attention is given to Jesus' death on the cross, of course. We have 40 days of Lent to prepare for this, and a whole day, Good Friday, given over to the contemplation of Jesus' sacrifice for us. And then lots of attention is paid to Jesus' resurrection, and rightly so. We're named after that. Easter is the highest day of the year for Christians, and we are given seven more weeks to to glory in all that Jesus' resurrection means for us and for the world. And then comes ascension, like the third Schuyler sister, right? Angelica, Eliza, and Peggy, right? It's like it is life, death, resurrection, and ascension. It's like it doesn't get... The, the, the attention that we should give it. But we know that 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus was taken up into heaven before the apostles' eyes. And the church celebrates Jesus' ascension on the sixth Thursday after Easter Sunday. <laughs> it's not even given a Sunday. Unless, like us, we push the celebration to the following Sunday. It's, not given, it's definitely not given a whole season. It's, it's, I think it's the forgotten part of Jesus' ministry. 
Let me ask you, when is the last time you contemplated what Jesus' ascension into heaven means for you? Probably not recently. My goal today is to remedy this, to persuade you that the ascension is not the Peggy Schuyler or the Rodney Dangerfield of theology that gets no respect. In fact, it's the heart of what the gospel actually means. And nothing, absolutely nothing, is more vital for the mission of the church today. So, we're going to look again to the book of Hebrews to see what it means to believe in the Son exalted. Would you stand uh, for the reading of God's Word? This is Hebrews chapter 9, verses 23 to 28. The writer says, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for the preaching of God's word. Well, Lord, we do ask for your help. Our help comes from the name of the Lord. And thank you that you especially given us help to know who God is. You've given us the scriptures. You've given us your Holy Spirit to illumine our hearts. So we pray now that the Holy Spirit would do his work. Lord, I pray, especially for myself, that I would not proclaim myself, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And myself just a servant for Jesus' sake. I pray that the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, would shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Would be seated, please? All right, as we seek to understand today what it means to believe in Jesus, who has ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, I want you to see that the ascension means that Jesus is where he deserves to be so that you can be where you don't deserve to be. The ascension means that Jesus is where he deserves to be so that you can be where you don't deserve. So those will be our two points. Jesus is where he deserves to be. Secondly, so that we can be where we don't deserve. First of all, the ascension of Jesus means he is where he deserves to be because he belongs back in heaven with the glory of his Father. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but there's this great verse, there's this great line in John 14, 28, where Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure from the earth. And his disciples are obviously sad and confused about him leaving. They never anticipated that he was going to leave them. And then Jesus says this. He says, You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. He says, you would rejoice because I am going to the Father. And what does this mean? 
What it means is that Jesus has existed from all eternity in the equal glory and fellowship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is like the best friendship that has ever existed, of just mutual glorifying and enjoying one another. And friends, that is precisely what Jesus left behind when he became a human being. He set aside the glory and the comfort of his fellowship with the Trinity in heaven. Think about Philippians chapter 2. The great song of the Christ, which says, Although he is equal with God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to hold on to or grasp, but he made himself nothing. He came down. He made himself for a little while lower than the heavenly beings. And see, what that means is as long as Jesus is on earth, even after his resurrection, he remains in a state of humiliation. And that is not where he ultimately belongs. He belongs in exaltation. And he is not fully exalted until he returns to his Father in heaven. And Brothers and sisters, that is where Jesus belongs. Not in the humiliation of earth, but in the exaltation of heaven until he returns again to bring heaven to earth and make his reign complete. That's why Jesus says, if you loved me, you would rejoice that I am leaving. You'd be happy because I'm going to my Father. Jesus' ascension is like, like the best homecoming parade for war heroes ever. I don't know if you see these to get me every time, these men and women who leave the comforts of home for faraway places. And when they return home victorious, after great personal sacrifice, we line the streets and we wave flags and we get all the feels when they are reunited with their families. This is what it's like for Jesus. So he returns home. After winning the victory over sin and death and hell, and he's reunited with his father. Jesus says, if you love me, you should be happy for me. That he is exactly where he belongs. But secondly, it's where he deserves to be, not only because it's his homecoming, but also because it's his coronation. It's his coronation as king. The ascension is Jesus' coronation as the world's true king, where he takes his seat on the highest throne at the right hand of God. And, oh, brothers and sisters, let me tell you, this is where he belongs. It's his by right. It's his because he earned it. But this is once again where we have to think where Jesus subverts every notion of worldly power that we have, what it means to earn the highest seat of honor. I've started watching this show after so many people have commented on it on HBO Max called Succession. Anybody watching this? Yes, it's, uh, it's fascinating. This is, it's a story about the Roy family who was headed by this aging patriarch, this father who's made millions as a media mogul, and now he's got to hand the business off as his health declines. And all, all his children, his four children, and his stepmom, and virtually everyone who knows Logan Roy is now jockeying for, for position. <laughs> to earn, to inherit this highest seat of power. The show is brilliant. It's a brilliant and satirical account of worldly notions of how we ascend to power, of how we earn our place at the top. But friends, Jesus turns all of that upside down because he ascends to power by giving it all away. He earns his place at the top by first descending all the way to the bottom, as we talked about last week, descending all the way down to hell, to the dead. And this is so different, friends. Adam and all fallen human beings, we grasp for power. 
We try to clutch it, and it only results in sin and death for the world. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, he emptied himself of power. And the result of that is righteousness and life for the whole world. Revelation 5.9 says that the throne, the highest seat, belongs to Jesus, and it is his by right. Only he is worthy. Why? Because he was slain. And by his blood... He has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. See, friends, the ascension is Jesus' coronation. It's his public enthronement over all worldly powers, his exaltation to the highest station where he will rule and reign until all his enemies become his footstool. Jesus is the world's true king, and he earned it. But through sacrificial love, through true power, therefore only he is worthy for this throne and so i want to ask you today is this is this what the gospel means to you (laughs) i'm afraid that our word gospel has become a little too truncated to mean only the forgiveness of sins which by the way is wonderful (laughs) the forgiveness of sins is amazing but it's also too narrow the bible has a much grander vision and definition of the gospel Listen to Isaiah 52, 7, where the prophet says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. There it is, gospel. Who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, what? Your God reigns. That's the gospel. That's the good news, is that your God reigns. A commentator I read this week kind of helps us understand the Roman context of the word gospel. I put the quote in the front of your bulletin. He says, we have to remember that when the writers of the New Testament and the early church were using the term gospel, they were talking about more than the forgiveness of sins. They were talking about the coronation of a king. Jesus is risen from the dead, but he is also ascended to the throne. He is the king. See, friends, Gospels were sent out into the Roman Empire because Caesar had ascended to the throne. And likewise, but more truly, the Gospel is sent out throughout all the kingdom of God because Christ has ascended to his heavenly throne. But this is actually good news because our king is different. His power is his weakness. His beauty is his humility. His his weapon is the word of God. His sword is the spirit He conquers the world through self-sacrificial love. And so I ask you, is this your gospel? Is your gospel big enough? I love that the word is becoming more pervasive in the church today. Everybody kind of talks about being gospel-centered now. We do too. But sometimes I wonder, sometimes I want to say with Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Fantastic movie, by the way. What it means, friends, is that the gospel means that Jesus is the world's true king. Through his life, death, and resurrection, he has defeated our greatest enemies of sin, death, and hell. And now through his ascension, he has taken his seat at the right hand of God until he comes again to finish his kingdom, to make all things new. See, I told you, the ascension is the heart of the gospel. Your God reigns. And therefore, you can find comfort No matter what else is going on in this world or in your life, you can find comfort that Jesus is king. And not only that, but the king is your savior. 
Because if he's just a king and he's not a savior, you should fear what he might do to you. If he's a savior but he's not a king, you should fear whether he's actually in control. But if he is king and savior, you can rest secure. Because Jesus is right where he belongs, right where he deserves to be, at the right hand of God. So Jesus is where he deserves to be, but secondly, so that you can be where you don't deserve. And this is the gospel too. And where is it precisely that we don't deserve to be? Well, it's in the holy presence of God. It is in the holy of holies. And I'm not talking about any sort of earthly temple. I'm talking about heaven itself. Friends, the Bible makes it clear that when Jesus ascended bodily into heaven, he took us with him. Ephesians 2.6, listen to this. If you are in Christ, it says you have been raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right now, if you were in Christ, you were seated with him in the heavenly places. See, when Jesus rose from the dead, he took us with him out of sin, death, and hell. And when he ascended into heaven, he took us with him there too, to the very throne room of God. The first part dealt with the consequences of our sins, but the latter restores what we were made for. Just communion with God. To live before the face of God, to dwell with him and he with us. And that's the wonder that our Hebrews passage is trying to impress upon us. And it does so through this comparison of the Old Testament temple and the heavenly temple. He said the first is but a copy, it's a shadow of the true thing. The first was made by human hands, the latter, heaven, was created by God. The first was served by human priests over and over again, but the latter by the ultimate and final priest, Jesus Christ. So friends, this is the drama that was happening in the Old Testament temple that the the author of Hebrews is getting at. So imagine, on the Day of Atonement, you, you as a sinner, you show up to worship, but you know you're not worthy. You know that there's a barrier between you and God and your sin, and you're barred from even entering into the Holy of Holies. So therefore, everything depends upon your representative, the priest. Here's what happened. You would watch as the priest disappeared behind the curtain to enter into the Holy of Holies, to offer the blood of the sacrifice for the atonement of sins. As the priest enters in to make intercession for the people, and you would sit and you would wait with bated breath until the priest emerged again from behind the curtain to signify that the sacrifice was acceptable and that your sins are indeed forgiven. The problem is, as Hebrews says, the sacrifice was never enough. It could not take away sins for all time. Therefore, the priest had to enter year after year on the Day of Atonement and offer sacrifice after sacrifice. The writer of Hebrews says, all this has changed now with the ascension of Christ. Look at verse 24. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. You see, it says, with the ascension, Jesus, as our great high priest, has disappeared behind the curtain to appear in heaven on our behalf. But the sacrifice he brings is the once and, all, once and for all sacrifice of himself. Look at verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
And then, just as the Old Testament worshipers eagerly waited for the priest to reappear from behind the curtain, so we are eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus. For him to reappear on earth, to save us once and for all, everyone who's waiting for him. Verse 27. And just as it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You see, just as the disciples saw Jesus ascend into heaven on the clouds, one day he will come again in the same way. And he will bring his people by sight into the place where they already dwell by faith. That is the very presence of God. Now, what does this mean for us, this beautiful thing that Hebrews is unpacking? What it means is that because Jesus is where he deserves, you can now be where you don't deserve, before the throne of God above, in the Holy of Holies. Jesus has done it. He made the sacrifice for sins. The curtain is torn in two. He has taken you with him into the very presence of God right now by faith. And what that means, for example, is that right now, when you come to worship, what we're doing right now, you can know that you are participating in the ascension of Jesus. That he lifts you up to heaven by faith. You worship with the angels and with archangels and with all the saints. We talk about it later in our liturgy. When you sing, holy, 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 you are singing in chorus with them. And when you come to this table, you are communing with the Lord the heavenly host is a foretaste of the feast that is to come. The veil is very thin. It means that when you pray, you can have confidence that the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, actually hears what you have to say. Because Jesus is where he deserves to be, and he is interceding for us. He appears on our behalf. It means that right now, you have all the resources of heaven for your life with God on earth. He went up there so that he could send his spirit down. You have God's very spirit. And that means because of the ascension, Jesus is not absent at all. He's actually more present to you now than he was to the disciples during his lifetime. See, he stood beside them. He dwells within you. And if you have the spirit, then you have God's very presence, God's very power to live as a new creation. Romans 8, 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Basically, friends, you have what Old Testament worshipers could only dream of. The full assurance of the forgiveness of your sins. The full presence of God by faith now and one day by sight. The full power of God to live as a new creation. All this is yours because Jesus ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Many commentators I read this week pointed out that the ascension is like the, a turning point. It is both the end of Jesus' earthly ministry and the beginning of his heavenly ministry through the church on earth. It is like the linchpin that connects Jesus and the church, that connects heaven to earth. Without it, we would not have the power to live as the people of God on earth. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven, 
And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I love this imagery. Paul has in mind what was common in his day, which is the idea of Roman colonies. Listen to a way a commentator put it like uh, this week. A Roman colony was basically made up of a small group of Roman citizens who had settled abroad. Although they were living in a strange and distant land, they kept the laws and customs of their homeland. They spoke its language and longed for the day when they could return home. So it is with the Christian community. It's a colony of heaven on earth. Christians are aliens and strangers in the world. And although their community is set in the midst of hostile territory, its members keep the laws of heaven and speak its language in worship and adoration. And they look forward to the day when they can return home to their native land, their exile finally ended. That is what we are, a colony of heaven on earth. And that is our privilege, as N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar, says. He says, followers of the Messiah should live already in the present in light of what they will turn out to be in the future as we anticipate heaven now. And all this is only possible because Christ has ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. As the psalmist says, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. By faith now, one day by sight, Because Jesus is where he deserves to be so that you can be where you don't deserve. All glory be to Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. Lord, we confess that it it often doesn't feel like we have all the resources of heaven. Lord, we know what it's like to have uh, a, a sometimes stumbling life an often stumbling life. Lord, I pray you would awaken us. You would lift up our hearts. You would lift us up to give us a vision of our risen and ascended Christ in heaven. And we would see what what the scriptures say when they say that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Thank you that Jesus is where he deserves to be. And thank you that he has taken us with us, taken, taken us with him by grace. Lord, help us to be the colony of heaven on earth to anticipate heaven in our life. I pray it would be a sweet fragrance of life to the world. We pray this in the name of Christ.